Lord, we are hungry, Jesus, to not just hear the words, but to understand the implication, the truth, the life that you were speaking into the people in those days and that are recorded so that you continue to speak them into us. Father, as only the Holy Spirit can do, we plead, we ask that you just quicken our minds and hearts and souls and spirits to grasp the truths that you have for us. I pray every woman leave with one profound message and word of encouragement that you have for her today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you've got your Bibles open to John 6. And what I'd like to do, first of all, if you, if you do go ahead and open your Bibles, I'd like for you to see that there are 71 verses in this chapter, and the whole chapter is about bread. The whole chapter is about bread. Now, you may say, well, no, there's that walking on water. If you will with me, I want us to just go through a huge, uh, very quick overview first and see how the whole chapter is about bread, and then we'll go back and we'll dis dissect it a little bit. We see here in, as an overview, what Jesus is going to tell us is that as bread is to our body, Jesus is to our spirit. Our body requires bread to live and our spirit requires Jesus to live. We have to receive the bread into us and we have to receive Jesus into us. Now, Jesus is the one who abundantly supplies the Spirit, and we are told that we can be filled with the Spirit, and through the example of the extra loaves, the extra baskets, that he supplies abundantly beyond what we even hunger for, what we even need. He's going to tell us that spiritual life is not something that can be bought. He miraculously gives it to the one who will receive it, but this word receive is scattered throughout our study. Do not let it slip your attention that Jesus uses his disciples to take the bread of life to others. The physical bread, he used his disciples to distribute it and that is why I'm giving you cards. That is why I encourage you every week. We gather not just to be fed, but then as we are fed, he uses you and me to distribute the word of life to others. This is extremely important. Why were there 12 extra baskets of bread? They were a miraculous reminder of God's provision. These men are out in the storm. They are caught. They don't understand what's going on, but do you know what they have? They've got 12 baskets of proof of the living God's power, whose presence they have been in. The question was, with the lack of bread, it was a test, what would, what would be done? And it says here in the scripture that, that it was a test. The storm, it was a test. Jesus didn't create the test. The waters created the test, but still it was a test. Would they remember 
would they pay attention to the provision? And what do you and I do in our storms? You see, Jesus had already calmed a storm on that lake one other time when he had been asleep in the boat. The disciples had already seen Jesus have the power in person to say, peace, be still, and the winds obey him. Now they are out there. And will they trust that even though he is not present with them, that he still has the power to calm that storm? Will they remember? Will they panic or will they pray? We have to recognize on this side of eternity, we are going to have to deal with our flesh. We are going to have to deal with the natural world, the storms that come up in our lives. And we are going to have to deal with the devil. And you see the devil is brought into this passage at the very, very end because Jesus is saying there and as he sees all and he knows all, he knew what he was going to do before the need arose for them to be fed. He knew he was going to go to them on the water. And he also looked at those 12 disciples, even though he had chosen them and he knew one of them was the devil. And so we have to recognize that as we go through our days, we are going to be dealing with our fleshly temperament, nature, desires. We are going to be dealing with the natural things that occur to us in the world, whether it's another outbreak of COVID or somebody who upsets us, whatever it may be, the terrible things going on in Israel, and we're going to be dealing with the devil. And the, these tests can refine us. This is the point. They can draw us into deeper intimacy with Jesus, and they can make us more useful to him, and that is our desire. And so we see that Jesus is the abundant supplier of eternal life and daily life, and I'm going to give you nine ifs today. There's no question that he's the abundant supplier. He is. But whether or not we partake of that, whether we invite him into the boat, whether or not we believe him will be what affects our day-by-day -day countenance, attitude, walk with him and walk with others. Now, what, what's been going on when we get to this uh, first part of John 6, 1 through 14, a lot has happened that John has not covered. Jesus has had the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has sent the disciples, 70 of them out. They have cast out demons. <clears throat> they have done miraculous works themselves. This is going into, I believe, the third year of, of Jesus's ministry. And so they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle of miracle. And certainly not one of us can cast a stone at the disciples and say, well, how could you not believe? Are we not the same? Are we not the same? When, when fears arise, when a diagnosis of some illness, when a child's in an accident, when we look at the world crisis situation right now, of course, our human natural gut reaction may be, even as the disciples were, where we don't have enough. We don't know what we're going to do in this situation, and we don't many times know. But Jesus wants us to learn. John the Baptist, his cousin, has just been cruelly, evilly beheaded. And Jesus has withdrawn by himself away to be with his heavenly father after John's beheading. And now he is here. And here come all these people. And in John 6, let's read it together. 
After these things, the things I just mentioned and many more, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near and Jesus was going to give them a feast now like no other feast. He was bringing in a new order. Therefore, Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Some commentators believe he asked Philip in particular because Philip was from Bethsaida. So was Andrew though, and Peter. They were all from Bethsaida. But Peter had already had a pr pretty serious test. It was Philip's turn. And do you ever feel like there are different times that you are being tested more? But look at this in verse six. This Jesus was saying to test him. Friends, testing proves us. And we need to just get this straight in our heads. We are going to be tested. Look at your friend and say, you're going to be tested. Jesus never tempts you to do evil. Satan does, but Jesus does test us to show us his provision, his abundant power. And in the testing, we have the opportunity to be polished and shined and mature for his glory. You're going to see on your listening guide that where I've listed the different characteristics and descriptions of Jesus, I say, he is a teacher who tests. Perhaps in school, you had a teacher who just kind of let you go. They weren't as invested in your education, but you had other teachers who taught you and then they tested you then so that you could see and they would see where you needed to grow and learn even more. Jesus is a good teacher and he does test us. This he was saying to test him for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And of course, you know how Philip said, there's not enough money. And Andrew brought this young lad who had five barley loaves and two fish. But his question was, but what are these for so many? At least he brought him. At least he brought this young lad. And this would have been a very young boy in the Greek, not, not a 10-year-old or a 12, 14, 15. He would have been a young boy who had a couple of sardines and five very small pieces of bread. So don't be thinking big French loaves like I have on the image here. It would have been a very, very small amount. In verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, though the men sat down in number about 5,000. It very easily could have been 10,000, 12,000, because it does not mention the women who were there and the children that we know were there. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, which we all love that he gave thanks to the Father, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. Jesus is not one to waste, and you and I are to be good stewards of anything that the Lord has given us. It is important to be a good steward of whatever you have, whether it's the groceries you have, the clothing you have, the items you have, what, 
resources you have that you can share with other people that you can make sure you are not wasteful with. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world as Moses had been the prophet who had called forth manna from heaven. They are recognizing and saying, Jesus is the prophet. Let's look at some points that we can take as we see. First of all, we see in these verses one through nine that Jesus tests us already knowing what he is going to do. And if we withdraw to Jesus, as Jesus models constantly, withdrawing to his Father, he will speak into us. He will supply our needs and he will use us. The principle is we must have intimate alone time with God. Would you just read that with me? We must have intimate alone time with God. Friends, I will say this over and over and over as the Lord prompts me to. When you are going through something, I don't care what it is, with a spouse, with a child, with a neighbor, with your concern over Israel, with anything it is, this is where you're supposed to be. This is where you're supposed to be, alone with him like Jesus withdrew to be alone with the Father. This is where your life is. Your life isn't on the phone. Your life isn't on the internet reading and finding out. Your life is right here. Your life is right here with your pen. I don't care if you use the journal that I have through the ministry or you use this or you use this or whatever, but you get along with Jesus with your Bible and your pen and you talk to him and you listen. This is where life is. This is where life begins. Through the process of writing, Jesus is able to speak to you, train you, help you understand what you're going through. What in the world do you think the Psalms are? David's Psalms, so many of them, he may start out angry. Lord, kill these enemies. Lord, everybody is against me. Lord. I have no hope, Lord. And then all of a sudden you see through him writing, through him voicing, through him processing. But you, oh God, but you, Lord. Just this last week, I had a situation arise and I was very concerned. I was very grieved. I was very distressed over it. I, I understood it only from my perspective, but when I drew away with the Lord and not just voiced my prayers over how I knew to pray for it and about it, but as I drew away with the Lord in deep intimacy, journaling, he brought instantaneous peace because he was in my boat and, and he brought perspective, divine perspective. We must have intimate alone time with him. When I was studying this, the very first thing that jumped out at me last week as I began my study was, oh my goodness, it's Jesus not the good shepherd. The people were coming to him on the mountain, it says in verse three, and he sat down and lifting up his eyes, they were following him. They were the sheep. He is the good shepherd. 
Where did they sit down? It says very specifically in verse 10, now there was much grass in the place. Would you read it with me? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. You prepare a table before me. Is this not what Jesus was doing? Psalm 23, right there, with the sheep following him and him feeding them, preparing a table before them and restoring their soul. Oh, friends, that is what Jesus does. That is who Jesus is, our good shepherd. In verses 9 through 13, we see, as I've already mentioned, that Jesus has divine power and solutions. If, if we do as Jesus says, with the littleness we bring to him, we will experience his abundant power at work as we serve him and others. We will experience him. As I've already mentioned, we are going to have natural tests, and we certainly see this. We have this same passage recorded in Matthew 14 and in Mark 6:45, and these other uh, Matthew and Mark bring different perspectives to us about this. But we know here, as we read, it says that Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again. Do you see that word, withdrew again? Would you say it with me? Withdrew again, say it with me. Withdrew again, withdrew again, withdrew again. That's his life source. This is his life. And then he goes out and he ministers, but he has to be replenished. He has to have the divine perspective. He has to have the next divine assignment. So do you and I. If there is any one thing I could just plead with you about, because it's being pled through the voice of the pages of the scripture, is do that. Nothing is more important in your life than quality time again and again and again with Jesus not just to write down the answers to a question in your, in your study, which is good to get facts, but no, time with you, with him speaking into you. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. It's because Jesus told them to. He told them to right then. We're told in the other passages of gospels. And when... And after getting into the boat, verse 17, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. And as I said, this is natural in the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And when the winds come off the Mediterranean, it can cause tumultuous storms. Jesus did not cause the storm. This was a natural event. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat and they were frightened. Another passage tells us that they thought he was a ghost, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive, willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at land, the land to which they were going. As we have already said, when Jesus walks on the water in this passage, one of the first things we learn is that Christ sees you and is praying for you. In verse 15, when we read, and I'm sorry, I think I may have given you the wrong uh, verse right there, but they, Jesus was on the mountain, 
but other gospel writers tell us that he saw them. So this is, this is the first miracle before him even walking on the water. And it's not a miracle as you and I know because God can see. Distance is not an object for him. But he sees you and to know he is praying for you. What do you think Jesus was doing on the mountain with, alone with God besides getting his next assignment, being replenished in spirit with his heavenly father? He was also interceding and that's what Hebrews 7.25 tells us. That Jesus is praying for us. He is interceding for us. So we cannot forget Jesus sees you. Jesus is praying for you. He saw the disciples. He was praying for the disciples. He saw them in their time of need. And he was present for them just as he is present for you and me. Are we passing the test? Hasn't he proved himself faithful to us in the past? When you had young children, and some of you may now, did they ever have a little blankie? And they wanted to take that little blankie with them wherever they went. It was what they had at home. And so if you took them up to the church to be left for a day, church, uh, day program or something, you took them with that little blankie. And that little blankie was symbolic to them of the fact that you were there with them. They had a little piece of you from home. The 12 baskets left over. The 12 disciples. One commentator strongly believes that those 12 baskets were in the boat with the disciples. The baskets were a very visible, tangible, the, the rabbi that you're following is a God of miracles. He's already walked to you on the wall. He's already, I'm sorry, he's already stormed the, calmed the storms in the sea one time in your life. There are the baskets. And friends, that's another thing that you journaling your thanksgiving every day and continually and going back and saying, thank you, Lord. It's a reminder of the basket full of ways that Jesus has already provided for you in the past. It needs to be fresh in your mind. How many of you right now, this morning, can off the top of your head name three things that you would say, thank you, Lord, that happened yesterday? Some of you are raising your hand. If you write it down, you'll remember it even more so. And that is a relationship that you develop with Jesus of saying, I see the baskets, I see your faithfulness, and I believe you now. We see in 16 through 19 that storms and rough times are a part of life, even when we are in God's will. The disciples were not out of God's will. They were in God's will. If you're a Christian, you can be assured, I'm going to say it again, Jesus sees you and he is a present help all the way. Till you die and he takes you to heaven's shore. He will always see you and he will always be present for you. And three, you can willingly receive Jesus in your problems and rough times. You can do like they did, receive him into the boat, but he's not going to force himself. He's not going to just burst into your life and say, well, you know, if, I'd like to give you my perspective on what you're going through right now. No, the TV's not going to turn on and there's Jesus talking to you. No, but if you put yourself in a position and you say, Jesus, I want your divine perspective on what's going on in me right now. He is more than happy to get into 
that time of prayer with you and speak to you. If we receive Jesus, his presence and counsel in our boatload of problems, we will experience the immediacy, say that word with me, immediacy, because they were immediately at the place where they had been trying to go. And the moment you receive Jesus into your boatload of problems or despair or discouragement, whatever it may be, your questions, you can experience the immediacy of his presence and his, <sighs> thank you, Lord, peace. I am living testimony, I can tell you, and I bet every one of you could say that also. Will we pass the test? How quickly will it take us to do that? In 22 through 65, Jesus explains, he is the bread that has come down from heaven. And how many times did he say that? I have come down from heaven. Like the manna came and gave physical life, I have come down from heaven to give spiritual life for those who believe and receive. We see in verse 27 that Jesus knows our motive in seeking him. If we seek Jesus only for what we can get out of him, we miss the point. This life and earth are perishing. We are to prioritize the spiritual over the earthly. Would you read that with me? We are to. Would you read it again louder? Would you personalize it? Would you say that again, personalizing it? It doesn't mean that God does not want to provide for our daily needs. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But we have to realize that this life is a blank. Second, in verses 27 through 29, Jesus says our work for eternal life is to believe in him. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. We can't jump through too many any hoops. But if we believe in Jesus, have faith in him, he will give us eternal life and will raise us on the last day. Can I hear a hallelujah? Third, we see in all these different verses, 35, 41, 48, 51, Jesus is the living bread again, who has come down from heaven. And if we eat, if we receive Christ into ourselves through the spirit, his self-existent life is in us and we will live forever. I want us to look real quickly at this one verse in particular because sometimes there can be some confusion over him drawing us and us believing in him. And Jesus said in 645, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Do you see that word learned? Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Psalm 19, 1 through 12, read this with me. The heavens tell of the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of his hands. Day to day, pour for speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Sometimes people are like, well, what about those people who Jesus doesn't draw? Jesus says right here, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard 
How can they hear? Well, certainly they hear through our lips, but also the heavens do what? Tell. Day-to-day fourth port speech. Romans 1.19, read it out loud with me. Because that which is known about God is evident. Yes, God made it evident. Read Romans 1.21 with me. I like the way that Tony Evans explained this balance of God's sovereignty in drawing people to himself and man's part in that process. He says, Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone, John 1, 9. It's what a person does with that light then that determines whether or not he will come to Jesus. This drawing is universal, John 12, 32, John 16, 7 through 11, and can be rejected, Acts 7, 51. I hope that helps you in your quandary of how does God's sovereignty of drawing relate to Jesus telling us then to believe and to receive. Quickly, we will close with looking at John 6, 66 through 71. Jesus questions the disciples' loyalty and reveals one of the 12 will betray him. We see that as a result of Jesus talking about the, his body being the flesh and his, and his blood being that which people must drink, it was a symbolic of we have to have his life. He is not saying cannibalism and all this, it's all symbolic, but he is saying we have to have his life inside of us. And, and we're told that as he was teaching this in the synagogue, they said, this is a difficult statement and who can listen to this? In other words, how, we're having a hard time even doing this, but Jesus conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to him, does this cause you to stumble? Verse 62, what then if you see the son of man ascending? to where he was before. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. For this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So there were those who had the light of Jesus' presence, but they didn't learn and they did not believe and receive. As a result of this, many of his disciples, verse 66, withdrew, but they didn't withdraw to Jesus, did they? They withdrew to the world. They withdrew to their religion and we're not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? 
I just can't even imagine that moment when he said that to the 12. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. We see this principle in John 6, 69 through 71. Jesus is the Holy One of God who sees inside of people. And if you think the devil isn't real, and an influence of, of people, may I just say, think again. The devil is real, and he is an influencer of people. We have this warning that now I want to go back to in John 6, 41, 61. Do you see where it says in verse 61, Jesus conscious his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? So I want to warn you about the grumble stumble syndrome. All right, did you miss that in your study? Say it with me, the grumble stumble syndrome. Friends, the children of Israel grumbled in the desert, in the wilderness, and they didn't go into the promised land for 40 years because of their grumbling, their stumbling. And when you go back and you read those passages and you look at this current one right here, we need to understand the Lord hears you, even though you may not be listening to him. He hears you and he hears me. I don't want to fall into the grumbling and then as Jesus said, stumbling. Instead, I want to of my own free will, my own choice, withdraw as many times as I need to, to talk to the Lord with my Bible open and my pen in hand to write down what he tells me. There are the passages that you can look at for this warning about the grumble stumble syndrome, Exodus 16, seven through eight and verse 12 and Psalm 106, 24, 25, the Lord hears us. Let's close with this encouragement. I can find help by withdrawing to be alone with Jesus. I can bring my five loaves and two small fish to Jesus and watch him work miraculously. Read these with me out loud. I can be assured Jesus sees me and is praying for me as I reflect on his faithfulness in the past. I can take courage, willingly receive Jesus in my boatload of fears and problems and experience his presence, peace, insight, and power. I can believe and receive Christ, the bread of life, through the Holy Spirit and know he will raise me to eternal life on the last day. I can prioritize the spiritual over the earthly. I can tell others that Jesus is the Holy One of God and warn them the devil is real. I can guard against grumbling and stumbling, knowing Jesus hears me. Quite a feeling today, correct? What does he want you to take home? Would you write it down? Holy One of God, oh, how we love you. Oh, Savior, you shine your light upon us. You feed us with manna from heaven. You give us spiritual life. You counsel us. You're the good shepherd who leads us, Father, feeds us. 
shepherds us. Help us listen and follow you well. And then use us, Father. We love you so much. Amen. Have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next week. Pick up a little card and let the Lord use you to bring someone.